Hello and welcome to Wineskins, a program featuring reflections on the lives of the saints and the sacred scriptures, along with a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm your host, Father Jim Corda. Our show is sponsored by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, I will talk about the Vatican II document on the bishops. We will also hear more about the conversion of St. Paul and the readings for this third Sunday in Ordinary Time. That and more on Wineskins. In our current issue today, we will hear about Catholic Charities from Rick Squire. January is National Poverty Awareness Month. It seems that the start of a new year and the deepest part of winter both offer the ideal opportunity to examine the topic of poverty. Scripture offers many calls to be poor for the sake of the kingdom, and Jesus himself says that the poor are blessed in the Beatitudes. The Second Vatican document, Lumen Gentium, says that Jesus did his work of redemption and salvation in poverty and oppression, and the church is called to do likewise. Poverty in these forms offers us opportunity to acknowledge the work that we do in honor of God. As important and humbling as this experience is to our Catholic faith, I would say that it's not the point of Poverty Awareness Month. Instead, I think we are called to recognize economic poverty in January, poverty that prevents people from attaining food, water, housing, and clothing. Gustavo Gutierrez, a Latin American priest and theologian, came to the conclusion that poverty must be an evil since the lack of food, water, and shelter will ultimately result in death. Gutierrez writes, in the final analysis, poverty means death. Fortunately, at our offices at Catholic Charities, we don't see bodily death in front of us, but we do see a lack of dignity to the degree that we can say Dignity is dead for many of our clients. Dignity is degraded when you live in constant stress over the availability to find food or money for rent or utilities. It is degraded even more when people look past you or they outright ignore you. As a society, it's often easier to dismiss or ignore those that can't do for themselves. It's easy to look past or dismiss somebody that has little power or influence. Why should we even engage with a person in that state? The easiest thing we do at Catholic Charities serving Portage and Stark Counties is address the immediate needs of our clients, food, diapers, utilities, and rent payments. The hardest thing we do is enter into the reason our clients are in poverty. Our caseworkers do this on a daily basis. They listen to our clients and they enter into their impoverished situation. It's not easy. But our gifted staff strives to do things to make every interaction with our clients one of dignity. I think that Poverty Awareness Month calls us to do the same thing. Yes, continue to do our part financially to address poverty, but also take the next steps and acknowledge the impoverished in our communities. See them enter into their story. When you actually engage with a person and listen to a person, you give them dignity and you give them value. When we see the poor and oppressed as created in the image of God, we are called to act differently, maybe even stand with them. And if we do that, maybe we'll come to the understanding that we are aware of poverty not because of the month on the calendar, but because we are followers of Christ. 
For Wineskins, this is Rick Squire. The Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul is celebrated on January 25th. To tell us more about this apostle to the Gentiles is Lou Jack Kay. He is from St. Brendan Church in Youngstown. This feast originated in France at the end of the 6th century when some relics of the apostle were transferred there. It was not celebrated in Rome until the 11th century, perhaps in connection with the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter, celebrated in France on January 18th. The importance of the conversion of the Apostle to the Gentiles is evident from the three accounts given in the Acts of the Apostles. It is evident also from the prayers in the Mass and in the Liturgy of the Hours. The biblical account of what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus describes the radical change that took place. He who was formerly persecuting us is now preaching the faith he tried to destroy, as written in the book of Galatians. The apostle himself always contrasts that experience on the road to Damascus with what had preceded it. In legal observance, I was a Pharisee and so zealous that I persecuted the church. I was above reproach when it came to justice based on the law. But those things I used to consider gain, I have now reappraised as loss in the light of Christ. All that from his letters to the Philippians. But it is not simply a matter of conversion as a personal experience of Paul. It is also a phase of development in the history of the church as recorded in the book of Acts. St. Luke states, all except the apostles scattered throughout the countryside in Judea and Samaria. After that, Saul began to harass the church. He entered house after house, dragged men and women out, and threw them in jail. The opening prayer at Mass is derived from the French Missal, and it contains two interrelated themes. The first one presents the dynamics of Paul's conversion and following of Christ. Some have tried to use psychological principles to explain his conversion experience. St. Luke does not describe events in a chronological order, but although it was a case of sudden divine intervention, its meaning was revealed gradually. Thus, in the first account, the incident is made known only to Ananias. In the second account, its significance is revealed to Paul indirectly through Ananias and in vague terms. Only in the third account does the risen Christ reveal to Paul the nature and extent of his mission. The second theme of the opening prayer is contained in the phrase, bearing witness to your truth. But to be a witness to the truth of Christ, like St. Paul, requires that we discover the meaning of the faith in the events and experiences of life, both individual and ecclesial. Paul himself, after the dazzling experience on the road to Damascus, spent three years in Arabia, southeast of Damascus, in order to grasp fully the specific dimensions of his vocation. There is yet another theme in Pauline spirituality, and it appears especially in the communion antiphon, the third antiphon for evening prayer, and in the office of readings. Christ is the focal point and center of the life of St. Paul. His contact with Christ on the road to Damascus was not only a transforming and crucial experience, it became a primary point of reference for all of his apostolic ministry. Thus we read in the third antiphon for evening prayer, for me, life is Christ and death is gain. And in the communion antiphon, I live by faith in the Son of God. <laughs> 
That transformation on the road to Damascus, which was always in the forefront of his mind, was the source of Paul's theology and spirituality. For Wineskins, I'm Lou Jack Hay. Welcome to our segment called Year of Faith, celebrating the 16 documents of the Second Vatican Council. I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. And the document we're going to discuss today is the decree concerning the pastoral office of bishops in the church. This decree is very important because there was a time when the bishops were seen simply as a direct ambassador of the Pope to do what the Pope says. But this decree realized that in the ancient church, although the bishops were united with Rome, uh, they hardly ever heard from Rome because of distance, space, the nature of the church itself in which bishops would be elected by the local populace and then consecrated by neighboring bishops, etc. And this document says the bishops themselves are an essential part of the magisterium the teaching authority of the church. And this gives the bishops a particular power, again, that they had received in the first centuries and the practice in the all succeeding centuries after this. Let's talk specifically about the term and the role of a bishop. We believe in the church that a bishop is a successor of the apostles. That in itself is significant. And the bishop also, to use a term, in his diocese is really the vicar of Christ. Mm -hmm. So how important not only is his role, but that us as the faithful recognize that, and what does that tie us to, mm -hmm. uh, not only locally, but in eternity? Well, the word episcopoi means the overseer, and we had these overseers from the first century, these episcopal bishops right up to the 21st century. And what you said is so true because Ignatius of Antioch in the year 110, when he's going off to his own martyrdom in Rome, he wrote a series of letters. And in them, he said, where the bishop is, that's where Christ is. That's where you do experience Christ on earth. So support your local bishop, love him, and trust his judgment. So there's this long ancient tradition of that particular role for the bishop in any given believing community. We know that uh, the bishop's role is threefold, and we've talked, first of all, about his teaching role. He also has to govern and to sanctify. Let's talk about those two roles as well. Well, the sanctifying role has to do with his administration of the sacraments in so many forms. Of course, the most dramatic and important would be the uh, consecration of other priests and other bishops to serve the church. That's uniquely reserved to him. Other sacraments that he commonly gives, like confirmation, can be conveyed by a priest, like I baptized, confirmed, and gave communion to one dying man all in one series of sacraments. But the normal administrator is the bishop, so he's sanctifying the believing community through the sacraments. Then he teaches in his preaching and his other letters he might write, pastoral letters to the people, talks he may give on radio or television. So many aspects of his teaching ministry today is really at the fore of his service 
to the church. Let's talk about those terms of a diocesan bishop and also uh, as distinguished from an archbishop or metropolitan. Mm. Uh, how do those differ and what do we mean by those? Well, a bishop is the head of any diocese. An archbishop is the head of an archdiocese, say uh, Detroit would be the archdiocese of Detroit, of, of Michigan, for all of the other dioceses. Philadelphia would be an archdiocese for all the other dioceses of Pennsylvania. New York would be an archdiocese for all of the other dioceses in New York. So it has to do with the size of the city that the bishop is overseeing and its influence then on the other local dioceses in his region. We also know that uh, many dioceses, and, and of course in our diocese in the past, we had auxiliary bishops. Mm -hmm. What was the role of the auxiliary bishop? Well, it was primarily uh, sacramental, especially in giving confirmation out to the various parishes. It also would involve the ordination of priests. Now, the auxiliary bishops would also have a sort of a fictional diocese of their own, which would be a diocese that went out of existence in ancient times or whatever, and they'd have that as a title because of the theology that a bishop should always be the overseer of his own diocese. So that is something that continues to this very day. And we would call that the titular yes. diocese. It's a diocese for his title as bishop. Let's talk a little bit about bishops' conferences. We know uh, here in the United States we have the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops. How important are conferences of bishops throughout the world, and what's their relationship to the people but to the Holy See? Well, this is a very complex canonical problem. Before the Vatican Council, the conferences of bishops would get together basically for fraternal support exchange of ideas. Today's conferences set policies, set agendas, write letters to their various countries addressing specific needs of their country. And they have the capacity to enforce one policy or another within a certain context. Now, the Vatican continues to have ultimate control over all dioceses and all conferences of bishops. So they work very closely together uh, with the Curia in Rome, but they have a lot more to do than simply get together and see how things are going. What's interesting, if you uh, would go to the USCCB website, mm -hmm. you know, they're always coming out with, with statements that are trying to inform us as Catholics on the political life, on social life, on justice, on peace, on poverty, on a variety of issues and topics that really affect us, not only in the church and in the world, but just here at home in our own communities. So there's that whole teaching role of the conferences uh, in the life of everyday Catholics. This reflects the social teachings of the church of over the past hundred years, from Leo XIII to Pope Francis, the church has always had a particular concern for the poor and the needy coming out of the mandate from the prophets of Israel to take care of the weak, the widow, the orphan, the poor, the stranger in your midst. 
And if you read all of the encyclicals of the popes on these things, we can see how the bishops are trying to take those encyclicals that the popes have written and make them real for their particular people. We know also that the bishops in the United States have come up with some very profound documents themselves on war, on poverty, on peace, on women's issues, on a variety of topics that really affect us here in the United States. And how important is it for us to be informed about those documents? Well, you know, it's one of those things that they're got it on paper, but there's a big gap to getting it into practice. And only by knowing what they're about first could you even begin to think about how to put them into practice. So the information comes first, and then we pray that the actions will follow. Brother Jeff, just uh, a final comment about this particular document. Well, the bishops now have to step up to the plate and say, gee, I do have responsibilities. I do have authority. I've got to use it in conjunction with the Pope, the Holy See, but also in conjunction with the profound needs of the people in my diocese to know, love, and serve Christ. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. To receive more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website of the Catholic Diocese of Youngstown at www.doy.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Please join Catholic Charities by helping to support the Warm Hearts for Warm Homes campaign, formerly known as Keep the Kids Warm. The Warm Heart for Warm Homes campaign helps to provide direct utility assistance to families with children, working poor adults, and older adults on fixed incomes. Last year, Catholic Charities agencies impacted thousands of people through utility assistant efforts. Unfortunately, this year the need for heat and utility assistance continues to rise. Catholic Charities is asking for your help to make Warm Hearts for Warm Homes a success by giving to your local parish. Online at www.ccdoy.org or by calling Catholic Charities at 330-744-8451. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Our song today is by John Michael Talbot. It is from his CD entitled, Signatures. Save me in 
Our scripture reflections for this third Sunday in Ordinary Time will be by Deacon Mike Kajancic. He is from St. Charles Church in Boardman. When it comes to real estate, many of us have heard the old adage that the three most important words are location, location, location. You want to find the best place to settle, a place near all the necessities you require, an ideal place to raise a family, start a business, and so on. It's important to pick the right place to make a start in life. So it's somewhat ironic that location, location, location plays an important part in today's gospel. Jesus is ready to begin his public ministry. Now one would think that he would begin in Jerusalem, the holy city, the center of Jewish faith, and begin preaching in the temple. Instead, he goes to Galilee, an area surrounded by Gentile or non-Jewish people on the outskirts of the Holy Land. But that location is important. For 800 years earlier, it was one of the first areas to be invaded and fall from the kingdom. So Jesus opens his ministry not where expected, but where needed. After he announces that the people in darkness will now have a great light shine upon them, 
Jesus begins his recruitment of those who will help him in this mission. There's an interesting line in today's passage. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now that may seem like a nice little line to add some color to the story, but author Sherry Weddle, in her book Forming Intentional Disciples, writes about the importance of that line for two reasons. At once. There's no hesitation on their part. They appear to have immediately been taken by this young rabbi. They don't know him, but they trust him completely. Left their nets. Many probably think, well, that's an easy decision. They're poor fishermen. But studies have shown that the fishermen would probably be considered middle class today. They had homes, families to care for, and they had to pay the Roman government for the right to fish on the Sea of Galilee. By leaving their nets, they were leaving their livelihood. And leaving their nets also meant that just as the net connected them to the world of here and now, they had to drop those things that kept them connected to this place and time. If Jesus asked you to follow him, how would you respond? Would it be immediate? Would you have to stop and think it over? Or would you ignore it? Being a follower does not mean literally to drop everything, to change life completely. What it does mean is to drop those things that keep you attached or connected to the ways of the world. The selfish goals of placing yourself above everyone and everything, the feelings of superiority, of clinging to our possessions, as if somehow what we own will get us to heaven. It's not what we own or how important or powerful in this world that will automatically get us to heaven. While our salvation is a given, it depends on what we do with what we own how we live out our faith in daily life, living out the great command to love God and neighbor that keeps eternal salvation in front of us. If we are more concerned with keeping our nets, our lives connected to this world, we allow that promise of salvation to slip from our grasp. We need to take an inventory of our life, repent, do a 180 degree turn from what keeps us focused here in this location. We better think long and hard about being his child. After all, in the transition from this present life to the next, the location we find ourselves in, either in the divine presence or away from it, is just as important. For Wineskins, I'm Deacon Mike Kojensik. In every generation, his call is still the same, follow me. If we are doing that, then our lives are counting for something good. If not, we need to change our direction until we align our lives with His and become His faithful follower. Wineskins is made possible by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. The program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm your host, Father Jim Corda, wishing you a blessed Sunday and a safe week. Please join Catholic Charities by helping to support the Warm Hearts for Warm Homes campaign, formerly known as Keep the Kids Warm. The Warm Heart for Warm Homes campaign helps to provide direct utility assistance to families with children, working poor adults, and older adults on fixed incomes. Last year, Catholic Charities agencies impacted thousands of people through utility assistance efforts. Unfortunately, this year, the need for heat and utility assistance continues to rise. Catholic Charities is asking for your help to make Warm Hearts for Warm Homes a success. 
by giving to your local parish online at www.ccdoy.org or by calling Catholic Charities at 330-744-8451.